Dear friends, hello, hello, hello. We didn't start it because we start talking with this great uh, guest and we even forgot to go live because it was such a pleasure to meet somebody from USA who is that friendly and that nice and is a real man. This is Dr. Dram McNaughton, who is consultant. He's a great consultant to higher education, to a lot of institutions, and he is the change leader who is changing the mentality of many people. Hello, I'm so happy to see you, Dr. Dram. It's my pleasure to be here, Olga. It's great to see you too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know that you worked in US Air Force and you traveled more than 50 countries. And uh, you, you know, you change different countries a lot and you even studied the names, how to say hello to, in different countries, which is very, very nice. Now the world is changing and you are specialist in change management. So Dr. Drum, tell me please, this change management how we can use it if we speak about small business people, business owners, or people who are building their brands, how to adapt to these changes and how we can use the concept of change management in our lives? Well, one of the things that businesses are really good at, especially small businesses, is adapting to new circumstances. In, in some languages, you call it a disruption. It's a change of the status quo that can affect the business. And so with disruptions, people need to adapt. Now, the key with all change is really the people involved. There, we have a saying that we use in our business, people support what they help create. People want to have a say into what's going to affect them prior to a decision being made. So one of the things that we encourage institutions that we work with, whether they're small businesses, whether they're universities, is to get the stakeholders together and talk about what's going on, why things need to change, and what you think need to be done, and then have a dialogue back and forth as to what is the best path forward for everyone. This way you get a shared vision, you mitigate the resistance to change, and people know that they ca you care about them and what happens to them. Is it very difficult with the, you worked with US Air Force, which is completely different than businesses and which is completely different than schools? Is it something the same or it's different because I expect military people, especially U.S. Air Force, is completely different than uh, schools. Well, I, I know you didn't mean to insult me, but you just definitely did by saying oh. that I was in the Air Force. I was actually in the Navy. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't do it on purpose. Oh, really? oh I really? know. How can I, I say somebody who was in the Navy, uh, Air Force? It's a completely different story. 1,000 stories. That's okay. I'm just kidding with you, as you well know. You can see the expression on my face. There is a big rivalry between the Navy and the Air Force. And those of us, like I graduated from the Naval Academy, and those of us who graduate from the Naval Academy, it's like it's always about the Navy. It's never about the Air Force. I can and imagine. So, I can imagine. The, the leadership in some ways is different between civilian, especially universities, and the military. 
The military for many, many years was command and control. The person at the top made the decisions, you push the decisions down. But as the demographics, as the generations coming into the military changes, it's becoming more of a, I wouldn't go as far as to say consensus, but it comes more, instead of being authoritative power, it becomes more referent power, that informal power, which is derived from respect. I remember one of the stories that, you know, one of the things that happened to me when I was in the Navy, I was brand new, a new officer at my first command, and we were told that you do not wear blue jeans or a t-shirt or anything to going to the store on base, the commissary or the, the base exchange. And I didn't understand why, and it was explained to me that your image is all about you. And if people look at you and they don't see the image that they're expecting, that erect, well-dressed, authoritative person, they won't respect you as much. And so I think that was one of the big differences between the military and the civilian is the respect is there, but it's not from an authority perspective. It's much more from how you treat your people, how you interact with them the knowledge that you have, all of these factors go into the respect that's necessary for leadership. Do you miss that time, Dr. Drum? Do you miss that time when you were in Navy, that you were a military guy? I think it's completely different than now. Is it like a good memories for you? Oh, very good memories, but do I miss it? No. You know, I the only thing that I generally ever miss is my wife when I go on a business trip or the last client that I had such a great time doing with. But each experience is new, and it's all part of that unfolding of our evolution and what we need to grow into. So your wife is very lucky, and I'm very happy that you have such a great relationship because a lot of people are dreaming about it, and that, that, is, really, that is really wonderful. You know, I'm doing now a movie about a person who is 83 years old, And he, he said that I'm alive because I want to take care about my wife. Uh, and this keeps me strong and healthy and handsome because if I'm alive, she will be also alive. And this is really very touching. And, uh, you know, I like these romantic stories because I believe in love and I believe in everything good that we were taught by our grandparents. And that is nice to see something. That's great to see the proof of that that it really exists not only in the movies, in story tales, not in books, but in reality. Uh, tell me, please, you were talking about this uh, reference leadership in one uh, of your interviews. You said that as a leader, um, you, sh some, you should be liked by people, and because sometimes if you explain something and people do not like it or do not get it or do not like you, And in this case, they will not do what you want them to do as a leader, as the owner of the school, or maybe as a commander uh, in the Navy. Okay, no, commander in the Navy, they will do anything because <laughs> there is no way out. There is no discussion. But as a leader, okay, so but what to do with this situation? If they don't like you or if they don't like what you're saying, how to find a way? That's a really good question, Olga. Uh, that comes from a, a slide deck that I do about resistance to change. And it says the resistance to change basically boils down into three things. They don't understand it. They don't like it. 
or they don't like you. So let's look at each of those three things. You know, liking you, not liking you, uh, in the military, that really doesn't matter. It, well, it does to some degree, but not, not to the same degree as it does outside. I think more importantly than liking is respecting. They have to respect you as a person. I mean, you're seeing all sorts of different incidents now in the United States related to COVID where you've got really some really good leaders like the governor of New Mexico. You know, she she's not perfect, but she's very transparent and she everyone knows she's working for the best of the state. But then you have other leaders who they go and they say, yeah, you have to go do this but then they don't do it themselves. I mean, where is the respect in that? You have to be an example as a leader for, for your people. They don't get it. They don't, they don't understand it. That's, you've got to be able to explain things to people on their level. You know, I can talk in all sorts of different academic terms. You know, I've, you know, published author, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't, try and explain things to people on a postgraduate level. I explain them to them at a much more simple level so that people understand. They don't feel like I'm trying to talk above them or down to them. I want to be able to meet them where they are. If they don't like it, you know, that's, that's a whole different thing. Uh, if they don't like it, there's sometimes there isn't really anything that you can do. When you're making large scale changes, you've probably got four different categories of people. You have your early adopters. Those folks are the ones that are gonna jump on and do it because they think it's a cool new thing to do, especially in technology. You've got your wait and see, which you know they wanna see how things are gonna going, and that's fine. That's perfectly normal human relaxation. You've got your cynics. Cynics will say, this is never going to work, and they'll never give you a good reason for that. It's just always, no. It's, we, we have a saying, those are your negative Nellies. They're, they're, they're or negative people. They're, they're not going to be able to come on board. The last character, you know, the last characterization is what we call the skeptics. Skeptics are people who are going to say, no, this isn't going to work, and here is why it's not going to work. Skeptics in a change management uh, scenario are my best friends because they're going to tell me where the potholes are, you know, the big holes in the road that you definitely don't want to run over with your car or your change effort. They know what's happened before and they know why things will work and won't work. So we get the skeptics on board. If the skeptics are on board, then generally the rest of the folks will follow because usually skeptics have some sort of referent power within their stakeholder group. So in a way, you are very positive. Even you have all these five categories of people, uh, the one who follow you immediately, the one who are skeptic, the one who will say, no, 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 it's bad. You try to use all these ideas, but you don't give up. It doesn't mean if there are a lot of people who are not following you, it doesn't mean that you will say, oh, no, no, really, my idea is very bad. You will not agree on that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it, correct. Uh, usually when people don't understand it, there, there's a, there's something that happens when you move up in the higher.
going on, but you start to see a much bigger picture of what's going on. And many times folks who are saying no, they, they have good reason for it. They, they, they know that it won't work at their level, but they're not seeing the larger picture, which that's not their fault. That's the fault of the person who's trying to communicate what needs to be done and why it needs to be done. So if they're not explaining themselves well, you need to go back to what we call, go back to the drawing board, start again, try and explain it to where people understand the larger picture. This is one reason that from a change management perspective, in fact, any kind of organizational perspective, transparency is becoming so much more important so that people understand the full picture and they can be empowered to make the right decision, even if their boss doesn't say, you need to do this. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes sense. And it's, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting to listen that from you because you really changed your career dramatically. I heard that you're working in the airplane, if, you know, then you uh, then you start doing uh, public speaking, which is completely different, uh, which is completely different job and completely different role. So it's interesting how you connect, how you're connecting these things. Uh, tell me, please, uh, since you are that much into education and maybe our audience, they are not that much specialists in higher education, but it so happened that I, now every parent have to become a specialist in higher education because there is so much drama for all the students who should be in the universities, but they're sitting online and they don't see each other. And there is so much drama for parents, for students for teachers, for governments, because how can you take money from people if they're sitting in the houses and there is no universities anymore? They are somewhere, but not here. So uh, what do you think the education, it will be completely changed in the next five years, or maybe it will disappear at all because there's so many experts in the YouTube, Google, maybe there is no need for education anymore. Well, I would disagree with that statement. I think there is a huge need for education. Uh, if you take a look at what education is supposed to be, it's supposed to be to develop the whole person, not just the intellect part, but the heart as well. How are you as a human being, not just a computer who can spout off facts? Can you think for yourself? Can you come to logical conclusions? Can you do critical thinking? I mean, you've got so many misinformation out on the internet through social media. Are you, can you think about things critically to where you can discern what is true facts and what is what's come to known fake news? So the purpose of education is very broad. It's not just the intellect. Uh, how do you teach people to become lifelong learners? I mean, the, the, the statistics now say that people coming up in the United States will have nine different careers, nine. I mean, that's a huge number of careers. And that means if you're working for 40 years, you have a new career every five years. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's really crazy. And with that, the United States doesn't do a particularly good job in 
in retraining people. They're changing the education model here to do that where the community colleges, the two-year colleges that we have here in the US are helping with some of this job retraining. But if you take a look at places like Scandinavia, where I've I've heard a story from a from a man who got laid off and they don't they're not concerned about layoffs they have a safety net that will take care of them they also will retrain people and he said I get laid off I love it I get to learn new skills mm. I mean that's a wonderful thing to be able to have and do and I think going back to the purpose of higher ed the higher ed is to prepare people for life not only lifelong learning, but how do you interact? Face-to-face -face does this because you have the experience of students together. Online, it's much more challenging, but it's still possible. Yeah, and especially, you know, this hybrid education where you have to do both ways, this and this, and you have to be adoptable, um, you know, and you mentioned the very right thing. Among all this information in the social media and internet, if you're educated, you need to find out what is useful for you, what is not useful, and what is even harmful to you. Because by some information, you only harm yourself. You know, it's interesting. I noticed if I use uh, my computer or telephone for three, four hours a day, it is good. But let's say if I use it more than seven hours a day, it's very bad. Because normally I'm a very happy person. But if I overuse it, I become very upset. It's not me. So I think we should to measure to what extent we can use it and then to stop ourselves. Are you agree with me on that or no? Oh, absolutely. Why do you think I have so little hair? It's because I spent so much time on the internet and I ripped it out. <laughs> oh, mamma mia, mamma mia. I could, I, could, I, could, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. So no. uh, your advice, your advice is my last question. Olga, I think we locked up here. Hopefully it comes back. Dear friends, hello, hello, hello. We didn't start it because we start talking with this great uh, guest and we even forgot to go live because it was such a pleasure to meet somebody from USA who is that friendly and that nice and is a real man. This is Dr. Dram McNaughton, who is consultant. He's a great consultant to higher education, to a lot of institutions, and he is the change leader who is changing the mentality of many people. Hello, I'm so happy to see you, Dr. Drum. It's my pleasure to be here, Olga. It's great to see you too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know that you worked in US Air Force and you traveled more than 50 countries. And uh, you, you know, you change different countries a lot and you even studied the names, how to say hello to, in different countries, which is very, very nice. Now the world is changing and you are specialist in change management. So Dr. Drum, tell me please, this change management, 
how we can use it if we speak about small business people, business owners, or people who are building their brands, how to adapt to these changes and how we can use the concept of change management in, in our lives? Well, one of the things that businesses are really good at, especially small businesses, is adapting to new circumstances. In, in some languages, you call it a disruption. It's a change of the status quo that can affect the business. And so with disruptions, people need to adapt. Now, the key with all change is really the people involved. There, we have a saying that we use in our business, people support what they help create. People want to have a say into what's going to affect them prior to a decision being made. So one of the things that we encourage institutions that we work with, whether they're small businesses, whether they're universities, is to get the stakeholders together and talk about what's going on, why things need to change, and what you think need to be done, and then have a dialogue back and forth as to what is the best path forward for everyone. This way you get a shared vision, you mitigate the resistance to change, and people know that they ca you care about them and what happens to them. Is it very difficult with the, you worked with US Air Force, which is completely different than businesses and which is completely different than schools? Is it something the same or it's different? Because I expect military people, especially US Air Force, is completely different than uh, schools. Well, I, I know you didn't mean to insult me, but you just definitely did by saying oh, that I was in the Air Force. I was actually in the Navy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't do it on purpose. Oh, really? oh I know. How can I, I say somebody who was in the Navy, uh, Air Force? It's a completely different story. 1,000 stories. It, that's okay. I'm just kidding with you, as you well know. You can see the expression on my face. There is a big rivalry between the Navy and the Air Force. And those of us, like I graduated from the Naval Academy, and those of us who graduate from the Naval Academy, it's like, it's always about the Navy. It's never about the Air Force. I can and imagine. So, I can imagine. The, the leadership in some ways is different between civilian, especially universities, and the military. The military for many, many years was command and control. The person at the top made the decisions, you push the decisions down. But as the demographics, as the generations coming into the military changes, it's becoming more of a, I wouldn't go as far as to say consensus, but it comes more, instead of being authoritative power, it becomes more referent power, that informal power which is derived from respect. I remember one of the stories that, you know, one of the things that happened to me when I was in the Navy, I was brand new, a new officer at my first command, and we were told that you do not wear blue jeans or a t-shirt or anything to going to the store on base, the commissary or the, the base exchange. And I didn't understand why, and it was explained to me that your image is all about you. And if people look at you and they don't see the image that they're expecting, that erect, well-dressed, authoritative person, they won't respect you as much. 
And so I think those are one of the big differences between the military and the civilian is the respect is there, but it's not from an authority perspective. It's much more from how you treat your people, how you interact with them, the knowledge that you have, all of these factors go into the respect that's necessary for leadership. Do you miss that time? Dr. Drum, do you miss that time when you were in Navy, that you were a military guy? I think it's completely different than now. Is it like a good memories for you? Oh, very good memories. But do I miss it? No. You know, I the only thing that I generally ever miss is my wife when I go on a business trip or the last client that I had such a great time doing with. But each experience is new and it's all part of that unfolding of our evolution and what we need to grow into. So your wife is very lucky and I'm very happy that you have such a great relationship because a lot of people are dreaming about it and that, that is really that is really wonderful. You know, I'm doing now a movie about a person who is 83 years old and he, he said that I'm alive because I want to take care about my wife Uh, and this keeps me strong and healthy and handsome because if I'm alive, she will be also alive. And this is really very touching. And, uh, you know, I like these romantic stories because I believe in love and I believe in everything good that we were taught by our grandparents. And that is nice to see something. That's great to see the proof of that, that it really exists not only in the movies, in story tales, not in books, but in reality. Uh, tell me, please, you were talking about this uh, reference leadership in one uh, of your interviews. You said that as a leader, um, you, sh some, you should be liked by people. And because sometimes if you explain something and people do not like it or do not get it or do not like you, And in this case, they will not do what you want them to do as a leader, as the owner of the school, or maybe as a commander uh, in the Navy. Okay, no, commander in the Navy, they will do anything because <laughs> there is no way out. There is no discussion. But as a leader, okay, so but what to do with this situation? If they don't like you or if they don't like what you're saying, how to find a way? That's a really good question, Olga. Uh, that comes from a, a slide deck that I do about resistance to change. And it says the resistance to change basically boils down into three things. They don't understand it. They don't like it or they don't like you. So let's look at each of those three things, you know, liking you, not liking you uh, in the military. That really doesn't matter. It, well, it does to some degree, but not not to the same degree as it does outside. I think more importantly than liking is respecting. They have to respect you as a person. I mean, you're seeing all sorts of different incidents now in the United States related to COVID where you've got really some really good leaders like the governor of New Mexico. You know, she she's not perfect, but she's very transparent and she everyone knows she's working for the best of the state. But then you have other leaders who they go and they say, yeah, you have to go do this but then they don't do it themselves. I mean, where is the respect in that? You have to be an example as a leader for, for your people. They don't get it. They don't, they don't understand it. That's, you've got to be able to explain things to people on their level. 
you know, I can talk in all sorts of different academic terms. You know, I've, you know, published author, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't try and explain things to people on a postgraduate level. I explain them to them at a much more simple level so that people understand. They don't feel like I'm trying to talk above them or down to them. I want to be able to meet them where they are. If they don't like it, you know, that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, if they don't like it, there's sometimes there isn't really anything that you can do. When you're making large scale changes, you've probably got four different categories of people. You have your early adopters. Those folks are the ones that are going to jump on and do it because they think it's a cool new thing to do, especially in technology. You've got your wait and see which, you know, they want to see how things are going to going. And that's fine. That's perfectly normal human relaxation. You've got your cynics. Cynics will say, this is never going to work, and they'll never give you a good reason for that. It's just always, no. It's, we, we have a saying, those are your negative Nellies. They're, they're, they're or negative people. They're, they're not going to be able to come on board. The last character you know, the last characterization is what we call the skeptics. Skeptics are people who are going to say, no, this isn't going to work, and here is why it's not going to work. Skeptics in a change management uh, scenario are my best friends because they're going to tell me where the potholes are, you know, the big holes in the road that you definitely don't want to run over with your car or your change effort. They know what's happened before, and they know why things will work and won't work. So we get the skeptics on board. If the skeptics are on board, then generally the rest of the folks will follow, because usually skeptics have some sort of referent power within their stakeholder group. So in a way, you are very positive. Even you have all these five categories of people, uh, the one who follow you immediately, the one who are skeptic, the one who will say, no, 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 it's bad. You try to use all these ideas, but you don't give up. It doesn't mean if there are a lot of people who are not following you, it doesn't mean that you will say, oh, no, no, really, my idea is very bad. You will not agree on that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it, correct. Uh, usually when people don't understand it, there, there's a, there's something that happens when you move up in the higher. Going on, but you start to see a much bigger picture of what's going on. And many times folks who are saying no, they, they have good reason for it. They, they, they know that it won't work at their level but they're not seeing the larger picture, which that's not their fault. That's the fault of the person who's trying to communicate what needs to be done and why it needs to be done. So if they're not explaining themselves well, you need to go back to what we call, go back to the drawing board, start again, try and explain it to where people understand the larger picture. This is one reason that from a change management perspective, in fact, any kind of organizational perspective, transparency is becoming so much more important so that people understand the full picture and they can be empowered to make the right decision, even if their boss doesn't say, you need to do this. Does that make sense?
Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes sense. And it's, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting to listen that from you because you really changed your career dramatically. I heard that you're working in the airplane, you know, then you uh, then you start doing uh, public speaking, which is completely different, uh, which is completely different job and completely different role. So it's interesting how you connect, how you're connecting these things. Uh, tell me, please, uh, since you are that much into education and maybe our audience, they are not that much specialists in higher education, but it so happened that I, now every parent have to become a specialist in higher education because there is so much drama for all the students who should be in the universities, but they're sitting online and they don't see each other. And there is so much drama for parents, for students, for teachers, for governments, because how can you take money from people if they're sitting in the houses and there is no universities anymore? They are somewhere, but not here. So uh, what do you think the education, it will be completely changed in the next five years or maybe it will disappear at all because there's so many experts in the YouTube, Google. Maybe there is no need for education anymore. Well, I would disagree with that statement. I think there is a huge need for education. Uh, if you take a look at what education is supposed to be, it's supposed to be to develop the whole person, not just the intellect part, but the heart as well. How are you as a human being, not just a computer who can spout off facts? Can you think for yourself? Can you come to logical conclusions? Can you do critical thinking? I mean, you've got so many misinformation out on the internet through social media. Are you, can you think about things critically to where you can discern what is true facts and what is what's come to known fake news? So the purpose of education is very broad. It's not just the intellect. Uh, how do you teach people to become lifelong learners? I mean, the, the, the statistics now say that people coming up in the United States will have nine different careers, nine. I mean, that's a huge number of careers. And that means if you're working for 40 years, you have a new career every five years. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's really crazy. And with that, the United States doesn't do a particularly good job in, in retraining people. They're changing the education model here to do that where the community colleges, the two-year colleges that we have here in the U.S. are helping with some of this job retraining. But if you take a look at places like Scandinavia, where I've, I've heard a story from a, from a man who got laid off and they don't, they're not concerned about layoffs. They have a safety net that will take care of them. They also will retrain people. And he said, I get laid off. I love it. I get to learn new skills. Mm. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to be able to have and do. And I think going back to the purpose of higher ed, the higher ed is to prepare people for life, not only lifelong learning, but how do you interact face-to-face -face does this because you have the experience of students together. Online, it's much more challenging, but it's still possible. 
Yeah, and especially, you know, this hybrid education where you have to do both ways, this and this, and you have to be adoptable, um, you know, and you mentioned the very right thing. Among all this information in the social media and internet, if you're educated, you need to find out what is useful for you, what is not useful, and what is even harmful to you. Because by some information, you only harm yourself. You know, it's interesting. I noticed if I use uh, my computer or telephone for three, four hours a day, it is good. But let's say if I use it more than seven hours a day, it's very bad. Because normally I'm a very happy person. But if I overuse it, I become very upset. It's not me. So I think we should to measure to what extent we can use it and then to stop ourselves. Are you agree with me on that or no? Oh, absolutely. Why do you think I have so little hair? It's because I spent so much time on the internet and I ripped it out. <laughs> oh, mamma mia, mamma mia. I could, I, could, I, could, I, could, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. So no. uh, your, advice, your advice is my last question. Olga, I think we locked up here. Hopefully it comes back. <laughs>